It's June 12th, and this is the Sunday edition of CNN Five Things. I'm David Rind. And I want to start by reading off the names of a few cities for you real quick. Las Vegas. San Bernardino. Newtown. Parkland. Orlando. Uvalde. I could go on and on and on. And you've probably caught on by now. These are all sites of mass shootings in this country in recent years. One thing these shootings have in common, they all involved AR-15-style rifles. So this week, I want to look at how this gun has come to symbolize so much carnage and senseless death in this country, and if calls for tighter regulation will result in actual change. Let's spend five minutes with CNN's Josh Campbell. He covers law enforcement and national security from Los Angeles. So Josh, let's level set here. We're talking about semi-automatic AR-15 style rifles. There's the M16, of course, which is fully automatic. Those are pretty much exclusively used by the military. But these commercially available rifles, the AR-15 style, how did they get so popular among average citizens? Well, at the outset, it's important to know that this was a weapon that was designed for war. If you look Mm. at the history of the AR-15, soldiers needed a relatively lightweight weapon that could rapidly fire, thus increasing the kill rate on the battlefield. And if you look specifically at the AR-15, the designers of that weapon sold the rights to a company called Colt Industries. And in 1962, Congress authorized a purchase of about 8,500 of these weapons for testing. That would later become the standard issue rifle for U.S troops in the Vietnam War. Mm. Now, soon after, it was not only marketed to the military, but also to members of the public. And because anything that the public has, that law-abiding citizens have, can also be used by criminals, we've seen over the years this assault-style rifle become uh, a weapon used in so many crimes. And this really came to a head in 1997. The sounds of automatic weapons fire still ring in the ears of people in this normally quiet Los Angeles neighborhood. When the now infamous North Hollywood shootout happened in the Los Angeles area. The two robbers wore body armor and sprayed bullets from AK-47 assault rifles as they brazenly exchanged fire with police. Now that officer just fired a shot, jumped over the fire hydrant. He is being fired at. Two suspects engaged in a gun battle with police for nearly an hour, injuring eight officers, 12 other individuals, firing hundreds and hundreds of rounds, and the police found themselves outgunned. And we hid behind a police car, and for some reason I just felt like that police car didn't even have to be there because the bullets came right through it. That actually led to policy change, where you had departments like the Los Angeles Police Department, other departments around the country taking notice and deciding to actually equip their own officers with the same type of high-caliber, high-power weaponry in order to try to counter what they were seeing from criminals on the street. And if you look at present day, we know that so many of the recent mass shootings, the deadliest mass shootings we've seen in the United States, have also involved the same type of weapon. Could I have you say your name again and spell Sure. Uh, James, J-A-M-E-S, last name Zaborvan, Z. So I had the chance to recently talk to one of the police sergeants with LAPD who was involved in that North Hollywood shootout, and he described officers, in his words, as sitting ducks. I personally uh, was armed with an Ithaca shotgun, a pump shotgun, and the suspect uh, was wearing body armor. So my impact striking him basically just made him angry. 
he was wounded. His colleagues were wounded. You had police officers who actually had to go to a nearby gun store. The owner of that store was just handing them weaponry because the officers didn't have that type of weaponry of their own. Oh, wow. uh, and so you just saw this prolonged, protracted gun battle with the bullets riddling the street, multiple injuries, that really serving as a turning point for law enforcement in the United States. Right. And in North Hollywood, the robbers were using AK-47s, but certainly seems like that incident gave law enforcement a taste of what was to come with the AR-15. So how do those guns actually work? Like, what do they look like in action? All right. Everybody put on your you guys got eye your, and ear uh, protection. Get your gear. So we went out to the Los Angeles Police Department range, and they demonstrated for us what this AR-15-style rifle looks like. Insert that magazine. How it fires, what it sounds like. Line is hot. Now the instructor fired that test round, and the sound is deafening. You hear the explosive nature of that weapon as the bullet is traveling out at 3,000 feet per second. So you've been under fire from a weapon like this. What's that like? Uh, it's very loud. You're being hit with uh, pieces of the vehicles we were hiding behind, uh, asphalt. You can't measure the impact on a firing range, but you can measure distance and accuracy. And this is a weapon that is both, that shoots uh, far distances, that is extremely accurate, mm. is larger and heavier than a pistol, but that actually makes it more accurate. And if you think about it, when you're holding a pistol, if you've seen that on television in the movies, someone's holding a pistol out in front of themselves, the weight of that actually pulls someone down forward, making that a little more difficult to shoot. Whereas the assault rifle, you're actually holding it into your shoulder, you have a tighter grip, you have more points of contact, that actually makes it a more stable weapon platform and one that obviously we saw for ourselves is very powerful. And does the sheer number of bullets that can fit into this gun make a difference? Like, how does that differ from a regular handgun? This has been a key topic in the national discussion right now over the accessibility of these firearms and how deadly we've seen them in so many of these shootings, because it essentially comes down to this. If that criminal does not have to reload, if they can use what's called a high-capacity magazine, which is uh, used in so many of these incidents, they can continuously fire over and over dozens of rounds, even up to 100 rounds at a time, without having to stop and reload. And law enforcement tells us it's that reload period that is so critical, because a number of things could happen during that period. The gun could jam. Uh, sometimes uh, it, it takes a while for a assailant to actually find a spare magazine and load it into that weapon. And we also know that that's a period where victims can be fleeing and law enforcement can be responding and possibly engaging that target, which is why we've seen these calls to limit the number of rounds that can actually be used in a firearm at any one time. So my next question, it's a tough one, especially when we're talking about kids. And, you know, I don't want to be too graphic, but I think it's important to be aware of this kind of stuff. What kind of damage can an AR-15 do to the human body? So in order to understand what type of damage is done to the body, we sat down with forensic experts from Wayne State University. So my name is Cynthia Burr, and I'm chair and professor at the Department of Biomedical Engineering at Wayne State University. I run the they have a ballistics lab, lab where they actually take blocks of gelatin, which simulate tissue inside the human body, and they'll test fire rounds through uh, that gelatin. Can you explain what we're seeing here? 
Sure. So this is a nine millimeter round coming into a 20% gelatin. And what we saw was quite stark. They did a comparison shot using a nine millimeter pistol and then separately using one of these high capacity magazines. So it takes a straight shot through the block of gelatin, exits at the end. Now with the pistol, you see the round go through the gelatin, which is again a simulating a human body, but it comes out the other side. It's quite streamlined. That is very much different than the test that we saw with the assault rifle. So by contrast, let's look at the 223 round or the assault rifle ammunition. Wow. Quite a bit different, right? So we're, we're Where you see an explosive effect inside the body. This round actually breaks apart. It doesn't exit. So it's about 3,000 feet per second, and all of that energy goes into the soft tissue. There's something called a temporary cavity that forms as that round is actually going through the body. And experts say that is where so much of the damage comes from. This is all damaged tissue. This is tissue that will never be repaired. And not to get too graphic, but we talked to a trauma surgeon who described for us the impact on children. And what he told us was because children are smaller than adults, because their organs are closer together, that shockwave and those rounds can cause irreversible damage. I mean, it just shows you just how powerful these weapons are as they travel through a person. So you're painting a picture of a really, really destructive weapon, and we've seen it time and time again. So where do the conversations stand in Congress in terms of possibly regulating or restricting who can get one of these? We've heard many calls for reform, including this past week from a parent of one of the victims in the Uvalde shooting. We're the parents of Alexandria Anaya, best known as Lexi Rubio, and five other children calling for background checks, calling for a ban of assault weapons, a number of reforms that we've heard time and again after so many of these shootings. We understand that for some reason, to some people, to people with money, to people who fund political campaigns, that guns are more important than children. Why do you think that people need to have AR-15s in this country? You're talking about a constitutional right to keep and bear arms. In my state, they use them to shoot prairie dogs and, you know, other types of varmints. And so I think that there are legitimate reasons why people would want to have them. That's We've heard calls for raising the age limit to actually buy some of these weapons. It appears at this point that that is going to be a very much an uphill battle for those who are calling for those types of reforms. We know that Senate uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has privately said that he supports raising the age, but we haven't seen many Republican lawmakers actually out there on the record saying that this is something that we will support. There is a question about possibly when we were talking about younger people uh, looking back at juvenile records, uh, the back background checks that are, we often hear calls for. They're the lawmakers that we've talked to, our Capitol Hill team, that say that people seem a bit hopeful on that topic. But as it relates to assault weapons bans, as it relates to the age limit, it appears that we are in the same position we were in just before the Uvalde shooting. Right. Definitely more talk around these issues, but still up in the air whether there's enough Republican appetite in the Senate to actually move on any of them. Josh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Here's something else happening this week. 
We're going to see at least two more public January 6th hearings this week as the House Select Committee unveils more of its findings. Hearings are scheduled for Monday and Wednesday morning after last week's primetime debut, and of course you can watch them on CNN. The Sunday edition of CNN Five Things is produced by Paolo Ortiz and me, David Rind. Our production manager is Matt Dempsey. Our senior producer is Mohammed Darwish. Our supervising producer is Greg Peppers. And the executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. Have a nice week. I'll talk to you later. <laughs>